0: know adapted much more quickly to the training and and got uh, by my freshman year you know I think I was all conference and Mm -hmm. uh, so I just you know uh, realized I had that talent but really what got me most into it was probably um, you know just the the team culture and and my high school coach was amazing Um, so I really you know loved it from kind of from the get-go
1: this episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre skin care for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Today on the Smart Athlete Podcast, my guest is a former NCAA Division I runner at Stanford. He has qualified and participated in the Olympic trials and the marathon three different times. Uh, He's closing in, getting close on 20 years as a coach and is currently the head coach of Team USA Minnesota. He has his Ph.D. in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise physiology and also spent some time as a lecturer at the University of Minnesota. Welcome to the show, Chris Lundstrom. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I'm hoping, uh, are you guys, how's the weather in Minnesota? Like We're suffering from just ridiculous heat.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty hot here too. Uh, um, it's definitely. Uh, I think we've got a, a couple days with heat advisories. Uh, you know, heat index above a hundred. So, plenty warm, definitely.
1: So I'm gonna start off. This is, this is a little bit, I like guess, a, a personal inquiry because I, I so I raced this past weekend and I kind of um, overheated a bit and really couldn't put the. So I did a triathlon on Sunday. And I couldn't really. Put My run down like I wanted to, I was running like almost a minute per mile slower. So, generally, I, I advise people I talk to not to run if it's you know over 90 outside. What do you do? Do you do anything with your athletes in terms of like trying to heat acclimate or like adjust to those higher temperatures?
0: Yeah, so we had a couple of athletes who qualified for the uh NACAC uh, championships, the North American, Central American, Caribbean cross-country championships. And that was in, uh, February, uh, in Trinidad. So it was going to be really hot and humid and we're training, you know, up here at that time, it was, you know, a lot of negative temperatures (laughs) yeah, things like that. So I had them, uh, doing workouts, uh, like on the indoor track with, uh, multiple layers on, um, uh, like that. And then also, you know, running on the treadmill is pretty good heat acclimation too, just because it tends to be fairly warm. And then you don't have that same air movement to kind right. of help. Off. So uh, yeah, things like that. I mean, you got to kind of balance it. You don't want to overdo it because obviously if you're training in the really bad heat all the time, it's hard to do much intensity and, and right. your fitness might start to suffer. But yeah, there are little things you can do. Um, jumping in the sauna um, mm-hmm. occasionally seems to, Help some people.
1: Do Do you yeah. notice if there's like a a typical? I guess I'll say adjustment period. You know, like you say you start training that heat training. Do you start noticing um, kind of an adjustment, and then back to typical performance speed in say two weeks or three weeks, or or is it really individual de- dependent?
0: Uh, I I think within about three days you start to get some good. Okay adjustment, but you really like full, full adjustment, uh, takes about two to three weeks. Uh, and even then you're still not going to perform at the same level, right. uh, would in obviously ideal conditions, cool conditions. That's where the world records are set. There's <laughs> a reason for that. Uh, yeah. but you're going to be a lot closer to, uh, to that. And you're going to be as, as acclimated as you're going to get, uh, after about two to three weeks.
1: Yeah. It just, it seems like something especially now in the middle of summer, like a lot of people are dealing with and especially as the vast majority of the U.S. is getting just blasted um, mm-hmm. with a nice heat wave right after um, all the rain and other stuff going on. So, yeah, um, just yep. curious about that. Yeah. Um, so, something that always kind of piques my curiosity. So, I know you, you've been running um, much, much longer than I have. Uh, So what what brought you to running? Like how did how did you kind of get into it? I'll I'll assume as a kid or as a younger person.
0: Yeah, uh, so I went out for cross country to get in shape for basketball, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: eighth grade, uh, and uh, because I really was set on becoming a uh, an NBA player, uh, that was the you know. um, And then I quickly realized that uh, my talents uh, were, were elsewhere, uh, mm-hmm. not in basketball, but, uh, but in running. I, you know, adapted much more quickly to the training and, and got uh, by my freshman year, you know, I think I was all conference. And mm-hmm. uh, so I just, you know, uh, realized I had that talent. But really what got me most into it was probably, um, you know, just the, the team culture and the and my high school coach was amazing. Um, so I really, you know, loved it from kind of from the get go.
1: Do you, um, or I do you, or did you, I don't know, um, if, you know, how old your high school coach was. Do you keep, did you keep in touch with him after I assume it's in him, I guess. I don't know. Um, your high school coach after, after, uh, high school.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I still am in touch with him. Uh, so he's, he's retired, Um uh, mm-hmm. A good while back, but uh, but yeah, he's uh, you know, now I only live about an hour from where I grew up. <laughs> Lost my phone <laughs> right. there, but but yeah, so um, see him once in a while, get coffee or or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty cool thing.
1: I know, uh, I, I had several coaches throughout high school, and the one I ended on has kind of been. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get together and we'll do. There's this like uh, 50 mile relay race that he'll like get back to his high school athletes together and we'll all do that. It's um it's called Brew to Brew. So they in here in Kansas City. There's a, a brewery downtown. It starts there and then it runs to the brewery in the town next next to us. Um, so it's kind of a casual event. But yeah. he's been, I guess I'll say influential in my life. So it's always kind of interesting to see. If, at least from the sound of it, it sounds like that person, you know, your coach was a pretty special person. It's just interesting to see, like, who stays in touch and, you know, how they continue to affect us past our high school career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, high school coaches have a lot of power in, you know, shaping young people for the better or worse. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's uh, really um, uh, something where that uh, that person can really change the trajectory of your life, and that's that's what happened in my case for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so I know it seems like you do a lot more long distance stuff. Clearly, since you were, uh, a, a, I would assume, attempting to make the Olympics in the marathon. How how do you make the adjustment to, from from high school to, to the marathon? Were you trying to do marathon at Stanford, or or where does the switchover come for you?
0: Yeah, no, for me, the switch came after college. I, uh, I, you know, I was on some really great teams in college, but I was not very good. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't make a top seven. Uh, I think I ran the district meet a couple times, but never ran the NCAAs. Um, And so after college, I sort of thought, well, you know, uh, maybe that's kind of the end of my competitive days, but I, mm-hmm. I kept running just because I loved it and I started to do more and more and, and get kind of the competitive bug back. Um, and then, um, you know, I, I ran, I think it was a Humboldt Half Marathon mm-hmm. out in California. Uh, really enjoyed that and decided to, uh, to try my hand at, at the marathon. So I was about uh, 25, I think, when I ran my first marathon which uh, it's not super young, but at that time uh, most, most of the kind of uh, elite runners in the U.S. were not moving to the marathon until they were 30 plus. Um, so, so it was considered kind of young at the time, but, uh, but I just found I was better at the longer stuff. and mm-hmm. uh, So um, that's where I ended up, you know, not fast enough to run the mile, <laughs> that type of thing. But but I I do love the uh, the longer stuff, so uh, it's a good fit.
1: Would you make the argument for the mile being a sprint nowadays? I know not technically a sprint, but you know there's that argument one way or the other.
0: Well, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's definitely requires uh, a lot of a lot of strength and power and speed um, Mm -hmm. just to have that that top end gear. Uh, Because yeah, it is so
1: fast now. It's like I was. It seems like I I didn't run in a division one school, but we went to meets where we'd be with division one schools. Since track is kind of unique in that aspect of you know you go to a meet and sometimes you have very mixed um, divisions, and it just seemed like if you really wanted to compete in the mile, you're pretty much going to be running near four minutes um, one way or another, or you're going to (laughs) be quite a ways back
0: back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was sort of, uh, when I went to college, I didn't really think I was a miler, but I know I had a lot of, a lot of my teammates who thought they were fast, you know, Mm. and that they, and, and then they kind of had a chance to get in some of those races and even, you know, workouts with some of their teammates and saw that, yeah, there's a whole nother gear that, uh that i don't have and, and i'm not going to be able to uh to compete uh, as well at that at that distance so many people begrudgingly ended up moving up to the five and 10k
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that seems like it happens it's like at least uh, i don't know how it was when you were in high school but it seemed like people would try out sprints and then they you know from the hundred on up and if the coaches were like you just don't have don't have the big gear for this. They'd start shoving them like longer, longer distances. Seems like that that seems to be the natural progression. Well, if you can't go faster, we'll see if you can go longer.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair statement for what happens at a lot of uh, a lot of high school programs. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, in the mile and two mile, you still need speed. So right.
1: <laughs> if, if you want to be competitive, if you want to win, yeah, yeah. you do do still need it. So, like, since you weren't a miler and you had this idea to go marathon, I mean, I always struggle with kind of the genetic component. You know, there's we all have some amount of limiter to us. Do you feel like that the longer distance half marathon marathon is more trainable compared to what I would consider like a much a pretty significant genetic component in that that top end speed?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the your aerobic capacity has a longer developmental period. So, like, mm-hmm. you're, you know, that's why longer distance runners don't peak until, or endurance athletes in general don't peak until late twenties, early thirties. Whereas sprinters uh, peak a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely, there's a a trainable component. I think for me, it was, you know, my uh, my. My talent was in my durability, so I could, you know, run a lot of miles and stay healthy and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, do some of those longer uh, grinding kind of workouts uh, without, uh, without injury. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely um, a genetic component to both, but I think uh, you can sort of overcome it a little bit more in the, in the endurance sports based on your training.
1: Since since I know this is your specialty, and this is just again kind of a personal curiosity, I spend more of my time kind of like 5K, 10k, just because I like those events, not that I'm particularly good at them. Um, but but making that transition, like what are the basics of putting together like marathon trainings, say compared to 5K? Are you just chopping on are you just stacking on miles or like how does the basic transition go from one to the other? Um
0: yeah, I mean, I think increasing miles is uh, helpful, um, and then also, I mean, for, for for my approach anyway, the the long run becomes a key workout of the week. So whereas I think a lot of um, a lot of people who run either middle distance or even five k, ten k, they go out for their long run, and it's sort of like oh, I'm going to chat with my friends; it's a social thing. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're training seriously for the marathon, that's uh, oftentimes going to be a very high quality day uh, where you're running around marathon pace, maybe some faster, some slower, Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe progressing into it. Uh, So, I mean, those long runs become just a key component. And then, um, you know, a little less uh, um, intensity in terms of interval training. I don't think you need it as frequently still important to do some, uh, but longer tempos and uh, specific long runs would be kind of the the key differences, I would say.
1: So, so I guess I'll say, uh, are, are you pretty much going to be like, is there any utility for a marathoner to be doing say like quarters or like max rep, any kind of work like that?
0: Uh, I mean, it depends who you ask. Uh, i feel like a little bit of, you know, shorter stuff, 200s, 400s is good just because you want to, you know, recruit all your, all your muscle fibers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, get everything going. Um, but I, I don't think you need a lot of it, you know, a session every two or three weeks, and it doesn't need to be a, a whole bucket load of reps either. You
1: know? Right, right.
0: So, because you're going to be, you know, if you're doing relatively high mileage, um, you're going to be doing it on somewhat tired legs. Um, mm-hmm. but I find that just going in and, and doing a little bit once in a while uh, helps maintain that efficiency of the stride uh, for the longer stuff. Makes, makes the, uh, uh, the marathon pace feel a lot more comfortable when you've run, done some faster stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like, that's just like your your capacity goes from here to here. So, then when you're running at that you know, sub-maximal pace, it's not as a higher percentage as whatever that max is anymore. It's just like I said, I, I don't have a lot of experience in it. So, you seem to be the guy to ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so, I'm curious about uh, Team USA and kind of your athletes there. Um, how do you go about finding athletes or recruiting athletes for, for Team USA, Minnesota?
0: I just watch flow track all the time. That's all I do, okay. just watch no, uh, I mean, I, you know, I keep an eye on results, and uh, there's a fair amount that's word of mouth through you know, our current athletes. You mm-hmm. know, maybe they have old teammates or people that they competed against um, that they know want to continue uh, to train post-collegiately. Um, But yeah, I kind of look at who's, who's graduating in the area who might be a good fit and by the area I mean kind of the upper Midwest we're not Mm -hmm. limited to that but um, we haven't had a ton of people move from like, you know, Southern California, we had one guy move from California, but uh, Mm -hmm. for the most part, you know, the odds are better of recruiting somebody who's uh, accustomed to uh, the climate here and, and things yeah. like that. Maybe has family close by. So, um, but yeah. So then it's just kind of a you know reaching out and uh, finding out what their what their plans are if they're thinking about continuing post collegiately and uh, if you know they might be interested. Um, and then yeah, just conversation to see uh, if it's going to be a good match. Mm-hmm. It, and then eventually it becomes kind of like you know picking a college. You know you come yeah. and visit. Uh, go through that process. Um, so yeah, but we're always kind of looking around and and seeing who's out there.
1: Yeah. So I've, I've talked to a lot of different. So I often talk to triathletes, which is kind of where I I live nowadays. Um, I've talked to a few pros. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what is since you went through it yourself, trying to you know make the Olympics and then now coaching these athletes, what is it like? Typical day or what does life look like for you know, athletes they are still working at that capacity post collegially
0: Yeah, I mean, mo- most of our athletes, I would say, uh, work part-time. Um, just uh, one, you know, making a living solely as a runner is pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and two, I think it's healthy to have something else going on in life, other than, mm-hmm. you know, just, just your sport. Um, so, but yeah, most most of the runners will get up, and um, you know, we meet for practice several days a week in the morning, and uh, and then get their workout in their their main workout for the day, uh, and then yeah, oftentimes they'll you know again like like I said hold down a part time job, so they might go work for four hours or something like that, um, and then depends on the athlete after that, you know, we have, uh, the marathoners, uh, a lot of times we'll be doing a second run later in the day. Um, uh, we do, uh, some auxiliary work. So strength, uh, plyos, mm-hmm. uh, so that's usually fit in later in the day after you've had a little recovery from the, from the workout. Uh, but yeah. And then, you know, it's, uh, We're not the most exciting uh (laughs) the exciting breed out there yeah you know it's like recovery is just chilling out making sure you're eating eating good food and and getting a lot of sleep Uh, a lot of you know a lot of time with the foam rollers and and things like that yeah um uh, you know most most of our athletes are getting in uh once every couple weeks to see a pt or somebody like that just okay just a day to day maintenance type of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh it's a it's an exciting lifestyle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when you're exhausted from however many miles you put in, that it, you don't have a whole lot of impetus to go out and do whatever. It's most like at least for me, for what limited miles I've accumulated, it's like uh, I just want to sit on the couch for a while and yep. and hang out. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of Netflix.
1: <laughs> the PC seems nice as kind of preventive care It's like take care of anything before it becomes an issue though that's that seems like a a very nice luxury, I guess I'll say. Yeah, yeah and uh, I mean,
0: uh, obviously injuries still come up and stuff like that, oh, yeah. but you can uh, if you have somebody who knows kind of what your baseline is and and can sort of identify things before they get... Uh, get to that point. It's uh, saves you a lot of time of uh, missed, uh, missed competition and training.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, anytime I talk to somebody who's like, what thing think about getting into running or they're trying to like be a better runner? Like I, I always say consistency is key, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, like you say you have a great session, but then you, you know, blow your hamstring out for some reason, you're off for three weeks. Well, if you had backed off that session and got the training in for three weeks, you're probably better off. So yeah. yeah, that just being able to be so consistent. Um, I'm not sure. Did, did you have a lot of injuries in college? I was like riddled with injuries. You
0: know, uh, well, I would say that uh, my shins hurt for about the first two years. <laughs> okay. You know, I I managed to get through it, uh, but then I did have a stress fracture um, uh, eventually. Uh, but other than that, uh, nothing too much. Uh, I would say I was just kind of, you know, our team was at such a high level that I, you um, know, the workouts ended up being my best races, probably. You know, just yeah. trying to hang in there. So, uh, if anything, yeah, I was probably overtrained for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. But fortunately, I just had the one, uh, the one big injury.
1: Um, did you guys race this again? There's a lot of these, are like, I want to get to your your research here in a second, but it's just personal curiosities. Um, did you guys race every weekend at Stanford?
0: No, uh-uh. uh, I would say during cross country we raced probably every other week. Okay. And then there were guys who would kind of come in race maybe twice before, um, before like the district meet. So okay, uh, we had we had a. The depth that um, kind of allowed for that, I think, okay. um, to you know, sub people in and out and and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, when it came to track, it was probably a little more, a little more frequent uh, racing.
1: Yeah, our team was so sparse that it was you pretty much were racing every weekend. And just looking back, and even I think at that time I thought it doesn't seem like the healthiest way to go about it. You know, you're because yeah. you're race on the weekend trying to recover on Sunday, back to hard work on Monday. It's just constant for three seasons and, um, fatigue, fatigue builds.
0: Yeah. It's the college, uh, uh, system is not really ideally set up for long-term development. in in Mm -hmm. my opinion, I mean, certainly if there, there are coaches out there who manage to, to do it, but, but yeah, like you said, if you're racing every weekend, when, you know, when are you going to train? <laughs> uh, right. Or, you know, uh, and yeah, the, the risk of injury is uh, just increased by that constant racing. And yeah, it's good to have a few weeks to be able to just, you know, put in some training.
1: Mm. Um. So I, I saw that you've uh, put together a fair number of, I guess I'll say, research projects. I kind of want to talk about the one you completed most recently. I did my best to go through and um, absorb what what you guys are doing. Um, it's talking about is a study um, in regards to like uh, predicting marathon times through like uh, running economy uh, compared to like ten k pace. Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I saying that correctly?
0: Um, I think. I think so. Yeah, I think that's. It's uh, like you're
1: using like the two different methods of the allometric scaling and the and, like regular uh, linear scaling to try to figure out if you could predict marathon times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, can you give uh, it, like a brief overview of that so I don't butcher it?
0: <laughs> yeah. So allometric scaling just means correcting for size. So when 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 we look at like VO two max or Running economy, we're measuring the volume of oxygen
1: mm-hmm. per uh,
0: kilogram of body weight per minute. Um, when in fact, the the actual cost of uh, running or hum, human locomotion, it, it does obviously increase as you increase in body mass, but it's not a linear relationship. It's so what allometric scaling does is basically raises that. Um, uh, your body mass in kil- kilograms to the power of usually between 0.66 and 0.75, uh, which basically reduces the, um, um, the effect of your, a change in body mass. So, um, that's sort of the background on that. It's sort of a, it's one of those things where we always just report it in milliliters per kilogram per minute, because mm-hmm. that's, that's what the, uh, that's what the software spits out, and it's easy, right. uh, but it's uh, it's not the most uh, accurate way of characterizing things. So, yeah, using allometric scaling um, uh, when looking at running economy data, we're a little bit better able to uh, predict marathon performance uh, based on the running economy data that we that
1: we have. Mm-hmm. So, is, is, it seems like you you found that relationship where you know, you you had that window and you can say okay if we if we know they can run at this partic this set at this particular speed that they should you know perform at a certain marathon time you know, does that can you take that and does that play in a role in to how you end up coaching athletes or is it just a good like um a good way to say okay i know know that they were at their optimal speed or not
0: Yeah, you know, the I kind of came into uh, research with the idea that, yeah, I'm going to be able to, like, you know, test somebody and then I'm going to be able to predict exactly what they're going to do. But uh, the more you know, the more you realize, wow, there are a lot of different variables and a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways that uh, different individuals can get things done. Um, So for from a coaching side, I think it's more valuable just tracking an individual over time. And looking at how that individual changes, certainly, like my one of my uh, studies uh, when I was a PhD student, I tested a, a woman before the U.S. Marathon Championships. I happened to also be coaching her, uh, but she, her running economy was just amazing. And mm-hmm. she, this, this was I did. I was testing people one to two weeks before their uh, goal marathon. Mm-hmm. So uh, it does sort of give you. Like, as a coach, to be able to say, "Yeah, confidently," like this is another data point that says you're ready to go. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she ended up, I think, fourth in the um, uh, U.S. Marathon Championships that year. So, but yeah, like I said, there's uh, there's a lot different, a lot of different things going on. There's the mental component. There's just the day to day variability, and uh, um, you know. So it's uh, it's fun to to do this stuff and uh, uh, look at all the different things that go into performance, um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's no there's no magic formula out there.
1: <laughs> I was like, I love I love talking to people that are actually you know doing um, research to to kind of figure these things out and, and kind of pull back their curtains, so so to speak. From like what's going on physiologically as we're training and like as we're trying to figure these things out. So I saw I, I couldn't find um, a way for me to actually pull up the study, but I did see you you had you'd worked um, with other people on, on a study about using plyometrics with recreational runners and there had some kind of effect on that. Um, can you talk about that? Did you find anything? Were there, were there any significant results there?
0: yeah so uh this was when i was in grad school also uh we recruited uh i think it was about 24 recreational runners and then we divided um divided them into randomized them into two groups one group did uh, plyometric and uh, explosive speed training so short sprints things like Mm -hmm. flying 30s uh, for 12 weeks one session per week and the other group did uh, basic core type of tr- training, mm-hmm. crunches, you know, that, that kind of stuff that runners typically are doing uh, anyway. So they were sort of like the control group. Okay. Um, uh, and then they were, uh, both groups were training for a marathon. So um, what we found was that the, um, the, ply- uh, the plyometric training group actually uh, improved in their sprint speed. Um, and maintained their jumping ability. (laughs) Whereas the core group, when they trained for the marathon, their jumping ability actually uh, got worse. Uh, There were those, um, those were sort of the changes we found when we looked at uh, variables that distance runners would be more interested in things like VO2 max, running economy, two mile time trial, both groups improved. And there was no difference between the two groups in, uh, in how much uh, they changed. So, uh, and I, I attribute that to kind of, you know, these are pretty untrained individuals coming in. Mm-hmm. So they got so much better. I mean, I think on average, they improved in the, uh, in the two mile by probably a minute and a half or two minutes. Mm-hmm. So any effect of that, you know, additional 20 minutes of plyos uh, or core, was sort of lost in the in the okay. shuffle. Um, I, I did see I did see like the faster individuals seem to benefit more from the plyo training, whereas the the slower uh, half of the group actually seemed to have maybe a negative uh, response. Which, awesome. if they're already physically overloaded, adding in another yeah uh, you know session that's going to do some damage to their muscles might have just been too much. So. Right like to follow that up at some point with a, a study on you know more uh, competitive runners um, and see what what that would look like.
1: Where do you draw the line between the two because I noticed, you, you know you have the competitive group and the recreational group in the, uh, the scaling study as well. like yeah. I, and it may have been in there but I, I, if it was I missed it. Where, where do you draw the line between recreational and competitive?
0: Yeah, I think for that study, I, I to be in the competitive group was a Boston qualifying time. Okay, um, so, so um,
1: fairly competitive.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's definitely like you wouldn't say that's an elite runner for sure, right. but but it's a little bit a uh, little bit arbitrary. Uh, but that's what I that's what I went with on that one. Um, okay, there's certainly, I mean you know kind of the more selective you get the, the harder it is to find uh, participants so uh, right for obviously just because there aren't that many people who are that fast and then also uh, the people who are you know you know in the in the top 10 in the U.S. or something they don't want you to mess with their training so right
1: it's like, I, no I'm doing exactly what I'm doing leave right. me alone I'm not interested
0: you're yeah. not going to randomize them to the Placebo group or something.
1: Yeah. Um. With with your uh, I just lost what I was gonna say. Oh, um. With with the plyometric study, did you have them all on like the same training schedule, or did they all have, all have their own like randomized schedules?
0: Uh, for the running training, or for the uh, for the plyos?
1: So so you're saying they were all training for a marathon and then doing the plyos or the core stuff on top. top of whatever their training was was their underlying training the same or did they have a difference
0: yeah they are students in a marathon training class okay um pretty much on on the same schedule granted you know some of the runs are um prescribed by time so you Mm -hmm. know the person is covering more distance but but yeah they're uh they're doing the same same training
1: okay Although that I was like, that's, I, had, I spoke to um, another uh, professor in exercise physiology and he he looks at um, stuff, with, stuff with the gut microbiome but he also works with a, a lot of athletes cuz that's what he teaches and it's always just because training can vary so much I'm always curious like was that controlled for or like are you allowing all of these other you know random elements to come into your study since you know, as he said, and you probably experienced, like your, you know, your your n number is only often 20, 30, maybe 50 if you're lucky. Like you don't get yeah. a huge sample size. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's, that is a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I think whenever you're looking at research, you always kind of want to look and see, like, did they actually have a control group? I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of studies where they, um, They're comparing two different things, but they just use like two different soccer teams, you know, Mm -hmm. that are in the same league or something. Well, you know, their training might be completely different. Right. Uh, They might, you know, there's all sorts of things that could uh, sort of confound the results there.
1: Mm -hmm. I saw, I think it was on your your Instagram, you had posted uh, maybe just last week, you're doing like blood lactate testing or something on new people. So it seems like you've got a new study in the works.
0: Yeah, uh, I have a student who got a grant this summer to uh, uh, basically, uh, there's a chart online called uh, Hill Runner. I think it's, I don't know if it's .com or something, but anyway, uh, it basically uh, will give you uh, equivalent speeds with different inclines. So if you are say you run an eight-minute mile on a flat treadmill for an easy run and you want to do some work at you know, up to 10% incline, uh, it gives you what pace would be equivalent to that. Okay. Uh, so anyway, um, however, um, I think my student had emailed the person and said, Hey, where did, you know, where did this chart come from? Because mm-hmm. we were trying to use it for, a, for another project. Um, and uh, the response was that, you know, it was somebody's master's research, but we, you know, we don't know where it is and, and so on. <laughs> So so my student got to basically do a validation study. Uh, So we're having people run at, you know, basically five minutes at um, six different combinations of speed and incline on a treadmill and taking ventilatory data, heart rate data, lactate uh, and perceived exertion. Okay. Oh, yeah. Summer, summer fun.
1: (laughs) So you're just trying to validate the numbers that, that have already been. You know, proposed by somebody else. Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, so, now I'm trying to remember what we've. I know I've done like uphill, also on the treadmill. We've done like uphill work in the past. Do you use that with your marathoners, like, to improve like running economy, or use strictly like flatland work?
0: Uh, no, we definitely do some do some hills. I prefer to do them outside, uh, mm-hmm. but occasionally in the winter. know, yeah, it
1: was was winter stuff on the treadmill. (laughs)
0: uh, It's worse because you get the melting and refreezing, which makes things challenging sometimes. But, uh, but yeah, we, everything from like short uh, um, hill sprints to longer inclines. Um, When I, uh, when I was still competing, I ran Boston a few years in a row. And uh, so I would try different things to sort of, uh, mimic the course because um, mm-hmm. you've got like you know a lot of downhill early on um, so at one point I had um, I had a friend who had a treadmill in his basement I didn't have one at the time so we propped up the back end of the treadmill on cinder blocks and I ran downhill for like 10 miles <laughs> and uh, and then I would do different things with the like half mile long okay. uh, hill reboots, Um at marathon effort uh, to kind of mimic the the course out there. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot you can do. Um, I also uh, at one point uh, decided I was going to run the uh, the Mount Washington Road Race, which is a seven and a half mile race up Mount Washington. Average mm-hmm. incline is twelve percent. Uh, so uh, I to train for that I. You know, we don't have anything that long for hills in Minnesota, so right. mountains to practice on. So I pretty much trained on my treadmill for that uh, mm-hmm. and did repeats at like 12 to 15 percent. And uh, so, yeah, it's that's part of the fun of uh, coaching and being an athlete is just trying to be creative with with what you do.
1: See, so you, you said you put the the treadmill on cinder blocks and I always have problems with like the treadmill walking if I'm running too hard. So, how did you manage to keep the treadmill on the cinder blocks instead of like walking off of or like toppling them over?
0: Yeah, I think his treadmill if I remember correctly was on carpet. So that kind oh, of Oh, okay. Yeah, but I could see how the, the bigger issue was it was also like pretty low ceiling. So, I was kind of like, otherwise, <laughs> I, I was going to hit my head on the ceiling.
1: Yeah, well, it seems like, I mean, treadmills somehow are always in the basement, and then the basement has the lower clearance height. Exactly. So, you have no way right it. Have you done, um, I was thinking about hills, have you done Pikes Peak Marathon?
0: No, I have not. I would like to do that at some point, but then I'd have to get back into better shape, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like I've had uh, my college coach did it, and I've spoken to several people who have done it. It just seems like it would be brutal. You're going to go up half marathon uphill, and then you got to control yourself for half marathon downhill. Like,
0: yeah.
1: I'm not, aside from going out and doing Pikes Peak, I'm not sure how else you really acclimate to that kind of race.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be tough on the, tough on the quads coming down for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, I have a question I ask everybody for like this year, um, because I think it's kind of a universal. Um, so, I like to ask people, uh, if you could only choose one food for recovery to eat for the rest of your life, what do you choose?
0: Ooh, one food for recovery uh i guess i would go with uh strawberry banana smoothie
1: that's a solid answer i've I've had several people say pizza and i'm i'm always a little disappointed i mean pizza's delicious but i'm like really pizza
0: (laughs) i just don't yeah i don't feel like pizza right after workout i know strawberry banana smoothie is going to go down go down easy
1: that's a solid (laughs) that's a solid answer chris um chris if people want to find you see what you're doing um where, where can they find you online?
0: Uh, our, uh, our website is teamusaminnesota.org. Uh, or I'm on uh, uh, Instagram, uh, Coach Lundo. Uh, Twitter, at Coach underscore Lundo. And yeah, that's about it.
1: I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on today, Chris.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.